Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? I knew I was going to forget my iPad back there, so here we are. So, um, if you've been with us, we've just been doing this really, this is the last week of just a really quick um, series for the early fall, anyway, um, just to kind of represent, make sure we know what our purpose is, at least as a church. And we define that with the acronym WORD, W-O-R-D. So we've seen worship, outreach, or evangelism, right? And we've also seen discipleship. But now we kind of get to that R, right, what really makes all of those things happen, and that's relationships, but specifically gospel-centered relationships. And, and that sounds all good, but sometimes that's hard for us because all you have to do is live a certain amount of years and you're going to get burned by relationships, right? You're going to get stabbed in the back or hurt by somebody um, because people are messy. And so sometimes we, we just kind of want to keep it at, at an arm's length. And in fact, like all the studies doing that, all the ways we can connect with each other now, people are lonelier than they've ever been. And, and so we're doing something wrong just as a culture. And, and so the, the, the fact is God wants us to have gospel-centered relationships within the body of Christ. And, and so what I wanted to do is, is show you first this, um, a few passages, but this one from what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. And, and this is one, if you grew up in church, you've probably seen this one before because it's, it, 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 it's just a, a common one for us to look at. And it says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man uh, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. All right, so uh, I was like, okay, threefold cord. Like, what's, what's that? That's a really great illustration. And so if we were, and I won't make you get up and do all of this, but if we were to have a big tug-of-war contest, right, and, um, and I'll just pick on Jeremiah here. <sighs> Jeremiah just gave me a look like, please don't. Okay. All right, you can help him. That's good. Right? So so one-on-one, like, we, we're not going to break this thing, right? But if, if uh, because it's pretty, you know, it's not the strongest rope in the world. It's just singular, right? So if we all got in a separate, so we all started tugging, this thing's going to break pretty easily, right? But if we have, and this is usually I bring out for the green tape, but we're doing it for a whole different purpose, right? Um, and take that one. Careful. That one's much, much Right now, what's going to happen is now he doesn't say it can't break; it won't quickly be broken. So eventually, yes, you could do something to break this thing. But this is three wrapped in one, right? And so it is just hard. And we we could t- this is the kind of rope you use when you want a real project, right? And so that's what Solomon is saying, right? Is that as we pull on these ropes? Thank you, my friend. Right, one of them if you're by yourself, it's going to quickly, quickly be broken. But this, far stronger together. And he uses uh, a few examples in the passage I just, just read. Like, like, he's like, if, if, um, if, if you know, he, he starts with just saying two are better than one if, if we're toiling together. So if you're, you have a really important job to do, doing it by yourself 
Sometimes you want to because the people who are supposed to be with you, like group projects in school, anybody? Those were the worst. Usually because if you wanted to do well, you get like two people who are like not wanting to do well, right? And if you were like me, you're like, put me with the nerds in the class. That's what I want, right? I never got that opportunity. Um, and, and, and so, but if you're all wanting to do the same thing, it's always better to do it together. Always. Right? But, but I love the, you know, when, he, when he says, uh, if you fall down, you fall into a pit, which is kind of weird for us, um, but in their culture it happened a little bit more, uh, you know, prev- it was a little bit more prevalent. But just imagine it this way. When the world knocks you down, right, and you fall, whether it be physically or whether it be whatever it might be, When you're by yourself, that is the worst. But when you have good friends or people who are there with you to pick you up, it makes all the difference in the world, right? That that rope. When someone, uh, you know, it's kind of when you lie down together, that seems weird to us, right? But in, in certain places and cultures and times, like you'd freeze to death if you didn't have someone's body heat. Two together bring warmth. One freezes, right? And of course, if you're attacked to have uh, to be together. And so what we just want to present as we conclude this series is, is that whatever it is, discipleship, outreach, worship, all these things, we need gospel-centered relationships. In fact, as we're going to see, and this is kind of what I'm going to do for those of you who are type A, I'm just going to do, um, we're going to go over how God commands it, so that should be enough, but then also the benefits of it. And then lastly, I just want to give you a few sort of my own thoughts and experiences uh, to, to think about. And, and as we pray before looking at, at these things, I, I just want you to, to, especially if you're someone who has been burned and you're like, yeah, that's, that's good, but not me. And especially, not that, you know, I think especially our, our men, we, we tend to think, oh, relations, that's it's more, you know, the ladies thing. And that's not true at all. We might do it differently but you, we tend to isolate ourselves as men, and it's a dangerous thing to do. And so I want all of us to seriously pray and think about, all right, where am I at? And where does God want me to go in, in gospel-centered relationships? So let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and you are good, and your word is always good, even when it challenges us. But Lord, I pray that it's more of an encouragement today to your people. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work in a way that only you can do. Your Holy Spirit would just open our hearts and minds of what real gospel-centered relationships and friendships look like in the body of Christ. This is your time, Lord. Just use me as your vessel and get me out of the way so I might not get in the way for people who need to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So uh, I, I just I, I wanted to, to start this way. Gospel-centered relationships are commanded, expected, and assumed by God. And by the way, um, for those of you who like to look forward, um, next week we're going to start an eight-week series um, in the book of Leviticus. Wow. You know, every book you read about growing a church and getting people interested, they say, preach from Leviticus, do that. No, they don't. Because uh, if you ever read Leviticus, you're like, what is going on here, right? There's a lot of things that are confusing to us. Um, and so the reason I bring it up today, just real quickly, is um, uh, you might have saw it on your way in, but on your way out, you can uh, look on the Welcome Center there, um, desk. There's a, st- a reading guide, I call it. It's not a study guide. This doesn't replace what you're doing already. It's just because we're going to spend eight weeks. I am by no means going to be preaching line by line through Leviticus, okay? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm 
split it into eight sections, and we're going to do one message from each section. And so it would be helpful uh, to have a reading guide just to sort of say, all right, this week I should read this, just so I kind of have all of the, the context, because I am not going to be able to, to, to go over everything that it presents. And so it's just really helpful. So it gives you a few points, and it also gives you a few questions. Again, that's for you. We will email that out as well if you'd rather it digitally, um, but grab yourself as many copies as you, you want. Um, and just in, in preparation for this next series. I, I think it's something I've been wrestling with God for a while, for even a couple of years. Just like, you know, just like, just had this idea of the gospel in Leviticus. And, and yet I'm like, no, I I'm not doing Leviticus. And then do Leviticus. No, I'm not doing Leviticus. So here we are. If you don't like it, talk to God. All right. So, so, so as we, we finish this off, though, with relationships, this is kind of a redundant thing to say, but I did that on purpose, that, that, that God, that, that gospel-centered relationships are commanded, expected, and assumed, right? And, and so I, I can't point to a verse where he says, thou shalt have gospel-centered relationships or you will be smitten, you know? There's no, nothing like that in the Bible. It's all assumed, right? It's all assumed. And, and I think there's different points and places of church history where you wouldn't really even need to preach a message like that. But I, don't, I think we, we are in a place where you do. Um, I, I, because you can't help but be shaped by the culture that we live in. And, and some maybe for a short time you've been living in this culture and for many of us our whole lives. And, and so the individualized Western American culture, it, it it, it's real, and it shapes us. And so this idea of individual pursuit and the church is maybe a place I go to to get fed or to worship, but, but not understanding the biblical concept of the body of Christ. And it's just very much more foreign to us than other cultures and places where that is just, that's just part of who they are. And, and so we need to reset it and understand that, that God has commanded it because it's expected and assumed. Just over 59 times, distinctly in the New Testament, there is a command of doing something within the body of Christ with the phrase, one another. These are often repeated. So when I say 59-ish, because there's some debate over, there might be a few more, right? But 59-ish is still a lot. Those are all distinct Right? Things like uh, love one another, John 13, 34. This command occurs at least 16 times. Love one another. Uh, be devoted to one another, Romans 12, 10. Honor one another above yourselves, also Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Build up one another, Romans 14, 19. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Be like-minded towards one another, Romans 15, 5. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Admonish one another. And I'm just going to stop saying the verses because you get the point. They all have them, right? But We'll be here all day. Greet one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Now the negative commands. Uh, do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. We do all this because we are, Paul writes, in a real sense, members of one another. All right, I need to go home. You guys get the point, right? 
I don't usually do something like that because and, 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 it's, it's a lot, right, to, to throw at you. And I'm not looking for you to get every single aspect of what I just read, but to help you to understand all of those aren't just general one another's. Those are within the Christian community, the body of Christ. Now, it's great to also behave that way towards those who aren't, but he's specifically commanding the church. And so the question is, how in the world can we do that if we aren't, if we do not have gospel-centered relationships? The answer is, you can't. It's impossible. If you don't know people, if all you know is just a smile and how you doing, you can do any of those things. And those are commands of God. They're not suggestions. They're not optional. They're commands. And so what's assumed there and therefore uh, commanded is we'll be in those kinds of relationships, that we'll have them. So then we can do all of those one another's. Um, it's, it, it's hard because we, we just have had, as I've said before, messy relationships in the past. Some good, some hard, and we can get burned, and we can tend to want to recede. We also live in a culture today where, you know, bigger houses than we've ever had and smaller families than we've ever had. As I said before, so connected and yet so alone. And now you add COVID to it, stay away, don't get near each other, right? And, and, and you know, that's just how, what we've had to live through in the last couple of years, right? So it's, it's, it's just threatened to recede and recede and recede and want to, to not be in one another's lives. And the problem with that is that's not what God wants, Right? He expects us to be in relationships. And add to that why it's difficult is let's just, I didn't know how else to put this. Churches are just weird. All right? They just are. Pastored one for a while now. And I don't mean weird necessarily in a, in a bad way, right? But they're very different than any other place in your life where you might grow in relationships, right? All those other places have natural bonds. So it might be a peer group at school or on college campus or, uh, you know, just, you know, mothers or fathers with the kids the same age or out in the soccer field. You have that bond. Or it might be, uh, you know, you, you, you hang with people who really love sports like you do or music uh, lovers or, or movie buffs or, you know, you like to gather and play Dungeons and Dragons or whatever it is, right? That these things are natural bonds. Even people who go to bars, right? They, they just have this, this, this thing that automatically sort of, uh, brings them together, and for us, it's weird because nothing natural brings us together, yet it is supernatural and spiritual, that this that we just did is the bond that brings us together. So it is far more eternal, it is far greater, and yet it's sometimes messier because you're talking about a 90-year-old and a 10-year-old, or 101 if you want, Right? You're talking about men and women, different cultures, different languages, different, right? You're, all of the things that might naturally bind us together, they're, they're thrown out the window, and we gather this eclectic group of people saying, okay, what do we do, right? So that is part of why sometimes it's hard as well. It's not like some of these other more natural places, and yet it is far greater, far more rewarding when we do it. Another thing that I would say that keeps us from relationships is, um, is, is and this, this is a pastor I've run into um, various people over the years. I'm guaranteeing there's some in the room right now that have sometimes experienced this. You just simply don't feel like you deserve it. And so you, and it goes something like this, you know, I see that person over there, man, they, they, they just know more of the Bible than me and look at their life, it's more together. 
they're married. They got two and a half kids, and if that's possible, I don't know. And, they, you know, they got the dog and the white picket fence, and I'm on Section 8 housing, and I'm just getting through my second divorce, and I'm a met, like, I, right? And, 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 and so I don't, I don't deserve it, or I'm not worthy to have those kind of relationships. Like, I wouldn't fit in there, and I just, it breaks my heart. Because this is so far from the truth. In fact, I would say, claim it for what it is, a lie straight from the pit of hell. The enemy does want, not want you to have gospel-centered relationships because it's too beneficial for you. So lies to you and wants you to continue to tell that lie to yourself that I'm not worthy, that I'm not good enough, I'm not like him. If they really knew who I was, they would never want me, even though they're, they got mess in their lives too, but they just covered up a little bit better, right? And, and we believe that lie that we're not enough, and it breaks my heart. Because that's a slap to God's grace. You, if you're in Christ today, that you are so worthy to have gospel-centered relationships that God sent his only son to die for you. That Jesus shed his blood for you so you might have a relationship with him for all of eternity in relationship with the rest of his family for all of eternity. God says you're worth it, so why can't you accept it? And so do not believe or buy that lie that, 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 that these relationships aren't for me, that I'm not enough. You are a son or daughter of the king, Christian. That's who you are. Don't let anyone else, including yourself, because nobody lies to you more than you do, right, tell you any different of who you are in Christ. And therefore, you are destined to have these kinds of relationships. And so they're commanded of God, and quite frankly, that should be enough for us. But I also wanted to make sure that we understand that gospel-centered relationships will benefit us immensely. And I know that many of you already know this, okay? I do. But so it's a reminder for you, and, and I hope I reach whoever of you is like, eh, I don't really know if I really need that. And, and, and you'll see the, the amazing benefit of unique relationships in Christ. Uh, uh, let me just, I could give you a million verses, but for time's sake, you don't want that. Um, I'll just give you a few. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 2, I'm just picking up in the middle of the sentence where Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love, that's agape love, right? Christ like love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, a huge benefit is the bond of peace. But notice when you read that verse, <laughs> all of the, okay, you're going to need humility, you're going to need gentleness, you're going to need patience, and you're going to bear one another, and you're going to need agape love. Like, that's all telling you that it's often going to go wrong. <laughs> Right? Like, so I just want you to, if you're expecting, like, oh, I'm going to get in these relationships, and man, everyone's just, just going to be like hanging with Jesus all the time. That's not what it's going to be like. You're going to need patience, bearing with. You're going to need that because people have issues and problems just like you do, and they say things they shouldn't say, and they do things they shouldn't do. And so right off the bat, we need to understand that a benefit is the bond of peace, but the process is great humility, great patience, great bearing with, and yet it's worth it. I've told the story before. This happened a long time ago. Um, a friend, uh, before I was a pastor, and, and, and a good friend of mine, and we were with other friends, and um, still a friend, thank God. Uh, but he moved away a number of years ago, and we did ministry together. And I was really in a bad mood one night and really tired um, and uh, probably hangry. I know, I'm trying to give you all the excuses in the world. I was just a jerk, let's just be honest. Uh, and I, I just, I don't even really remember the conversation, but I just remember in front of everybody just basically yelling at him and calling him stupid. Calling him stupid. And do you ever do something like that and wish that they would yell back at you? 
And he didn't. He just face just kind of fell, and he didn't say much, and the rest of the night kind of, and I felt, have you ever said something, and you're just like, oh, why, why, why did I say that? Why can't I go back in time, right? Have you ever felt that way? Well, that's how I felt. And so I couldn't sleep that night, and then the next day, I was at work, and I just, I couldn't get anywhere, and I finally just um, got in my office, and I, I called him, and we just talked about it, and I just apologized, asked him to forgive me, and praise God, he did. Because he had every right to say, you're no friend of mine. Who would say that to somebody and walk away? He had every right. No one would blame him. I couldn't even blame him if he did that, right? And yet he didn't. It was still some residue of that for a little bit, but we got through it with the bond of peace and that friendship and all that. See, if he had walked away, man, how much he would have lost from that relationship and ministry we did together and how much I would have lost. And yet Christ says, man, when you come together in that kind of relationship, the benefit is the bond of peace. It's a huge benefit. Um, Romans 12, also Paul, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. A benefit is you get honor, not like honor in the world. Honor in the world, man, it's hollow, it's fleeting, and usually they build you up just to tear you down, right? But honor amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, there's nothing like it. And what I love about this is like, you should almost compete right? Like outdo one another. I use this in premarital counseling all the time, right? I'm like, I'm like, try to like compete against each other, right? Try to win the day of loving your wife or loving your husband more than they loved you. And things will go great if you can just do that. But get, especially guys who like to compete, you know, and, and anyone who's got a competitive spirit, it's like, yeah, that's what Paul's trying to get at. Outdo one another and you, you will receive honor. What a benefit. What a benefit. Proverbs gives us lots about um, having relationships in the Lord. He says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Parents, anyone ever told your, parent, your kids this? Some version of this? Every day? For years? Pretty much, right? It's, it, it, here's the thing, though. It's, this isn't just for kids, right? This is all of us. Like, who you hang with and do life with is what you're going to become. Like, none of us is that strong, that piece of rope, it's going to get broken. I'm not saying get rid of all relationships that aren't in Christ. I'm just saying make sure you have those that do. Because when you, when you don't, like, you're, it's going to rub off on you. And, and I know you say, well, Jamie, my friends, they're not fools. Like, they're smart, they're educated. They do, like, and and, and you've got to understand, when the Bible says fool, it's not meaning clown or goofball. It very simply means they do not go with God and his truth. They go with their own. And the Bible says, no matter how educated you are, how successful you are, how rich you are, what you, you are a fool. A fool. And so if we're hanging with those who are fools, we're going to become a fool. Right? You, you, you aren't going to get excited by the things of God if you're always with people who don't care about God. Is this, I mean, you don't need a seminarian to tell you this. Right? That's what the proverb is saying. Um, uh, another one that uh, is in Proverbs, and I'll bet a lot of us have heard this one too. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So that's similar. To be sharp is, again, wisdom. To be sharpened towards the Lord. I remember uh, years back, there was a guy in church, and um, he was in a real difficult personal situation. He, he was married, had some, some kids, and he was... Um, 
his marriage wasn't bad, but it just was kind of one of those difficult spots. And he began to get into an emotional relationship with a woman at work. And it wasn't physical yet, right? So he kind of played off. I haven't done anything physical, but he knew he was a Christian for sure. And he knew he shouldn't do that. And he knew it was wrong, and yet he didn't want to stop. And he was just like in that really difficult uh, position. And so he actually reached out to a good friend of his who wasn't a Christian. And they talked about it. And that friend was trying to be kind to him, but said, man, it's all right. That happens. Every marriage goes through things. You know, we all got to do what we got to do. That kind of advice. He tried to be the right. It wasn't like he was intentionally sabotaging his friend, but he just, that was foolish advice. And eventually talked to a, 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 a brother in Christ who said, man, you are sinning against God, against your wife, against her, against whoever's with her. Man, your kids, like, you need to stop it. And that was hard to hear, but it's what he needed to hear, and he did. That's wisdom. You need people who will challenge you that way, not just applaud as you walk into destructive sin. That's what happens. Iron sharpens iron. And I'll tell you, for anyone who's young, or even if you're not young, and you're thinking about getting married or married again, man, please let the very first criteria be they love Jesus. Don't be like, oh, but he gets me apple spice pumpkin muffins on my date night. Good luck with that in 10 years, right? That ain't going to continue. Maybe it will. So what, right? I'll buy you some pump whatever muffins you want. Find someone who loves Jesus because they will sharpen you and you will sharpen them in the closest relationship you will ever have, right? And so um, he, he, uh, I, I love this from James. Just a, a couple more before just some final thoughts. But from, um, this is uh, from, from the apostle James. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then Paul, kind of similar. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. And so here's a benefit of gospel-centered relationships that we don't always like in the moment, but just like I gave you that illustration of that guy, you need and I need people who will gently, that's key here, right, gently call us out with humility. You know why that doesn't often go well? It's because both parties need to have great gentleness and humility. You need such humility to receive, you know, hey man, I, I saw how you were talking to your wife. That's just not what the Lord wants. Like, I've seen how your your marriage isn't that great, right? And you're not receiving something that might be a great benefit to you. On the other hand, if you're the one giving that, man, you got to earn that hearing, right? You they got to know and trust you and love you to be able to give that to them. Like, don't see someone across the way. I barely know that person, but I'm going to go tell them how they're dressed today. That ain't right for church. Don't do that, please. I don't need that from you. But if, if they've earned that, right, they've, 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 you've earned that, you're, you're a friend in the Lord, you, they, they know they can trust you, now you can have this give and take where we can sharpen each other, right? And, and, and yet in the James one, another benefit is that there's going to be times where good friends or people that you know, they don't know about a secret sin, it's not observed. You're addicted to pornography or you have some kind of lust issue or drinking problem or, or you're an anger problem or, or something at work that isn't right. Whatever that might be, you need people to just say, like, I'm hurting here. I need help. And what James says is the benefit is you will receive prayer 
you will receive healing. Sometimes physical healing if it's God's will, but because you'll have other people praying for you. How great is it to have friends that aren't just going to be like, hey, I'm sending good thoughts your way. Like, what is that? I don't need good thoughts. I need prayer, right? And so, praise God, I got friends that give me good thoughts, and I, I love them too, but I need friends in Jesus who will pray for me. Because what a benefit of that is healing, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Because we're sharpening each other like iron. It's a huge, huge benefit. Let me give you one more, and really this is just kind of the, the, the almost a keynote verse that we've had. We had the first one and the last one, right, from Hebrews. We use this talking about the importance of corporate worship. But, he, but, he, but the writer of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the door, de- the more as you see the day drawing near. So yeah, it is corporate worship, but it's also getting together so that we might encourage each other to very specifically encourage each other in Christ. And I, that, that phrase you see, stir up, that could also be translated to provoke, to provoke, which is weird. Like I need relationships to provoke me. I'm provoked enough. Thank you. Right, but you understand what that means, right? If if I if I uh, post something and you see it, and I'm and I say vaccines should be mandatory, some of you want to kill me right now. I know it. I can see it in your eyes. Right, you're provoked to passion. Or if I say vaccines are completely useless and they're the mark of the beast, or something like that, the other half of you are like, "What? He's cr-. and you're provoked." Is that too soon for that? I'm sorry. Is that too soon? But it's probably the most provoking thing we have. So I want you to feel it. What does it mean to be provoked? It's not necessarily negative, right? It just means to be stirred up to passion towards something. So it can be negative or positive. So here, it's, it's we gather together. We have these relationships, so we are stirred up. We are inspired and provoked towards good works and the love of Christ. So we are passionate. Here's what you're never uh, by yourself when you're this rope. It's, man, I don't care how much you read your Bible and what you do, it's going to be so hard to stay passionate for the things of God without others. Because there's times where you need to be picked up, inspired, helped, and, by the way, times where you need to do that for others, where they need you. And if you're not there, you're missing. There's nobody that can take that place. And so... The, the gospel-centered relationships, we are, in most importantly, provoked towards Christ. What a benefit. What a benefit. Now here's, um, I, I just wanted to, as I promised, to, to close with just a couple of thoughts. These aren't really, they're just from experience. Um, having had a lot of conversations about this with people and Christians and churches and all that. Um, we've already given you a lot. I want you to remember that that it tends to be a little bit messier and weirder in churches because our common bond isn't anything natural. It's Christ. So I don't, don't forget that. We went over that. Um, there's also going to be different levels of relationships. You're, you're, I mean, if you just look around the room, and this is just one local church. You probably have other Christian friends from other churches, and this is one of three gatherings we have this weekend, right? You are not going to be best friends with everyone here. Right? This is not going to happen. That's ridiculous. But they're still so valuable. I mean, I have kind of a, a few that are really, really close to me, including my wife, my family, but some friends. Yeah, but it's invaluable, the relationships I have with so many of you and others, other pastors, other, like, they're invaluable to me. 
but they're different levels. And so don't feel the pressure. Be like, I, I, to, to be a gospel-centered relationship, I'm going to, like, you have only a certain amount of capacity. And, and, and I, I wanted to grab this because I, I think this will be helpful because I've had so many conversations. People be like, you know what? I'm just having a hard time. I feel like it's really clicky or, or this group of people or this people, I just, they're really nice and kind, but I, I can't get in, right? And, and it's hard. And, and so um, I read in a book called Sticky Church by Larry Osborne. It's about um, small groups a number of years ago. And there's some good stuff in there. But the biggest thing I, I took from that really wasn't much about what his whole point of the book, which often, happen, often happens. And it's this idea of sockets, right? And we all have in our lives, because we're human, a certain amount of sockets available. Now, how many of you, would you raise your hand if you'd call yourself, man, I'm, I'm pretty much like a hyper extrovert, like the more people the better. How many, we got anyone here? Okay, a few of you, right? Like you gain energy. And so you might have 10 or 12 sockets, right? Like you have the capacity for lots of close relationships, but it's still limited. You can't do 50, you're human. You don't have the time, or just, there's no way. How many, on the other hand, are more like this? You're a hyper introvert. Anyone here like that? Everyone in the back. That's interesting. That's interesting. You sign up for the tech team so you can get away from people. Is that what it is? All right. We love you. That's good. Uh, so, so maybe you got one or two. You still need that. It's just not, you don't have the capacity for as many. Most of us are somewhere in between. And, and so the point is, different seasons of your life, you will have all of your sockets taken up by somebody. And you just don't have the capacity. And then other seasons, not necessarily for anything wrong, some free up. And you have a need for that, right? And so what happens is one person may have a need for that. And, they, and, and you like really like somebody, like, oh, they'd be a really great friend. And they just don't have the capacity. And you feel like they, maybe they don't like you. You take offense to that. And it's just a simple season that doesn't match up. And I give you this, this uh, uh, so that you can be patient. Be very patient. Because it will happen. There's seasons of life like um, going off to school or joining the military. You have a lot of so- sockets available. Right? Uh, um, empty nesters. A lot of your focus were on kids. All of a sudden you're like, man, I need friends, right? Retirement. You retire. A lot of your social circle was at work. Suddenly you're like, what am I going to do with myself, right? I can't just, you know, golf and sit on the beach all day. I got to do something. And, and, you know, but then there's other times where, man, you're just full. And it doesn't ever give us a right to be rude to people or shut them out. It just means different people have different capacities at different times. And so all I say is just breathe and be patient. Avail yourself to other believers, and it will happen. You'll have different levels. Somebody just doesn't have this capacity, but they're still a great asset to your life. And there's someone else who will become a really close friend. And the only way that happens is through patience. You know, uh, um, over there, I think, is Jen Nixon. Um, and uh, I'll tell you her story, and I got permission, by the way. I don't want anyone thinking, I'm never talking to Jamie again. This might come up in a sermon. But Jen just had some, some surgeries, so we were talking on the phone about that. And, and she reminded me of a couple of years ago where she was kind of experiencing this, like just wanted friendships, right? And, and, and I gave her the, the socket lecture. It uh, wasn't really a lecture, I don't think, was it, Jen? It was more just a conversation. And, and she just reminded me how, like, after the surgery, how many close people in her life in Christ have reached out and been a benefit. And she said, man, it's like night and day. And the only reason is she stayed patient. She kept, she joined a group, did some ministry, got in people's lives, and here it is, right? And so don't give up on that, especially if you've been burnt before. 
It's a great way to show forgiveness and say, I can't live my life alone. I need others who are like-minded and will sharpen me like iron. And so as we've done all of this series, and and as a reminder, um, it it was really done out of just needing to be practical. Um, Our elders on on retreat, we were just talking about how because of COVID, so many things, we we just couldn't gather. And then we have a lot of newer people who don't really know anyone because you couldn't. And what are we going to do about that? And so we said we really want to just present these on-ramps for those who God's kind of working in your heart, different ways of plugging in. And so today, honestly, I I was thinking about all the different uh, of these four topics. And at first, I'm like, what am I going to do for relationships? Like, that's just sort of, you know. And it ended up being the most that we have. Um, And these are just some ways that I think can plug in and build relationships. And so across the way in the commons, there's different tables, uh, places you can sign your name if you're interested. And and some or maybe all, I'm not sure, will have somebody there you can talk to as well. Um, Different things. You can see men's ministry. uh, They meet uh, fairly regularly. Our ladies' ministry do different things. Um, Meals ministry, if you never heard of that, that's like when someone needs some meals, maybe they're sick or, uh, you know, some, whatever, some reason in their life that you could make them a meal and bring it. What a great way to bond and connect, right, especially initially. Um, so if you like to cook um, and like to deliver meals, I personally like to receive them, so uh, we can make a great connection there. Uh, small groups, of course, we had that during discipleship, but that's a great way to meet people. You can talk to someone there. Youth group for our teens, um, we have a young adult small group that's starting uh, soon, and that's for, I know a lot of you think you're young adults. You're not. Uh, it's for college students in, like, people in, in, in their 20s about. You know, there's no exact age range, but, you know, you know. And then uh, volleyball, uh, which is uh, great. Over there you can sign up if you're interested. They weekly will meet in the gym upstairs and, and play volleyball. Oh, I was also told by Sally that you do not need to be a great volleyball player. You just need to want to play, and that's it. Men and women, co-ed, it's fine. Um, our building and grounds and our gardening are going to be next to each other. That's a great way to meet people, too. Like, use your skills um, and gifts that, that God's given you, and you meet other men and women who, who are like-minded, and you can build relationships. So, so that's the formal ways, but of course, sometimes the best thing to do is just invite someone over, or when someone invites you over, even if you're one of those introverts, just say, okay, I'll go, and see what happens, and be patient. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this series. I thank you for um, your purpose for our church. I thank you that we are ultimately chief aim to be worshipers of you. And Lord, that, that we desperately want to disciple and be discipled always in all things in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, we want to reach out to our community so they might know the love of Christ. But Father, we know that As we talked about today, relationships are essential. And so, Lord, I I thank you for the many relationships that we have. I pray that we wouldn't take them for granted. and You would just reawaken us to how important they are and that continually to, to search them out and to foster them. Lord, I pray for patience for those who might be feeling lonely or not feeling connected, that they would be patient and and wait and know that that you have people for them and, and to not give up. And Lord, for those in the room here today who just might be feeling lonely or feeling like they're not worthy, that Lord, that you died for them so that they are worthy. Would you remind them of that even now, not just in their head, but in their heart. I pray that we'd be a church that just is always open to having relationships, genuine relationships, 
agape love in Christ. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing together.